So this morning's message is called, Whose Disciple Are You? And it's a question that I want us to keep asking throughout this message this morning. Because we're going to be teaching on discipleship, we need to understand uh, how to be growing in this area. And we need, we need to make sure that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ and not a disciple of any other person or philosophy. So Paul, the apostle, when he was teaching the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I just want to read a couple of verses to you. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. He, he addresses this, and he's addressing this when he's talking to the church in Corinth because the church in Corinth has some issues, some problems, and he's trying to bring clarity and, and realign their thinking so it lines up with what God meant. When we take communion together, we go back to those words because we don't want to get off track. We don't want to be teaching something that wasn't being taught by Jesus. So Paul's concerned about this also in the area of discipleship. He says in, uh, we'll start in, actually I'll just start at the beginning of the chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready. So he's talking about them being immature. They're babies. They should be growing, but they're not. And so he's addressing that. And, and I want us to be open to the Spirit addressing that in us as well. If there's areas, God, that we are still babies and we should be grown, show us so we can change, so we can invite you into that change process. So going on from there, it says, in fact, you're still not ready because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Now, this, I love that phrase because we all think of ourselves. We are humans, right? But mere humans, like only humans? Interesting concept, isn't it? Because when you're born again of the Spirit of God, you're more than just human, right? You've become now a member of God's family, a child of God, a new creation in Christ. So we're not mere humans, but we can act like it sometimes. And that's what Paul's pointing out. For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, or I follow Paul, or another says, I follow Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? Like the Spirit of God is not within you, helping you to grow and helping you to follow Christ? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are just servants through whom you may have believed, and each has a role that God has given them. Paul says, he planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God is what makes the seed grow, right? He placed within its DNA the ability to grow. You might plant the seed, you might even water the seed, you might even put it in the sun, in the sun. you don't make it grow. Well, spiritually, Paul is teaching us this is a similar thing. You know, don't give credit to someone, you know, this person helped me to grow, you know, made me grow, this person made me grow. God made you grow. If you're growing, God made you grow. All right? So this is an important idea to put in place when we start talking about discipleship. 
Now, remember last week, Pastor Jonathan gave us a definition for discipleship. We'll review it here. A disciple is one who continually, continually is being formed. It's an ongoing process. And they're being formed into what? Into the image of Christ. Not into the image of Paul, not into the image of Apollos, which is another Christian teacher, but into the image of Christ. That's a disciple. That's what we have to remember. So that's a great definition, but I want us to go in more deeply and look more closely at this concept of discipleship, because it's a very important word, and we have to be able to answer for ourselves, whose disciple am I? Who am I following? That's not such a strange question, as I just read. You could follow Paul. You could follow Apollos. Now, they were good guys. They were good Christian teachers. But if you're going to be a disciple of a, a mere human, of a, of a human being, then you're not a disciple of Christ. Christ is our Savior. Christ is the only one who could die for our sins. Paul wouldn't die for your, couldn't die for your sins. Apollos couldn't die for your sins, right? Jesus did that for you. So he, he deserves the highest place. If we're going to become a church that makes disciples... We want to make sure we're making disciples of Jesus Christ. Not of Pastor Tom, not of one of the elders, not of one of the teachers. They're helping us to grow. But God is the one who makes us grow. In fact, I want you to see this. Webster's Dictionary actually defines a disciple as a pupil or a follower of any teacher or school of thought any philosophy, any teaching. So disciple in itself, the word, doesn't necessarily mean of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we use it that way. That's where the Christianese comes in. Sometimes we're we're using it as though everybody knows we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, but we just say, oh, I'm a disciple or I'm a follower. In fact, the the idea of apprenticeship is important to think about. Now, we have apprenticeships for those who are being trained you know, sometimes you're, you want to be an electrician, so you become an apprentice for a few years. And you have to put in hours working underneath what's called a master electrician. So the master electrician, you submit yourself as an apprentice to him, and you learn from him. You watch him. You do what he says. You, you follow through. You make sure that everything that he has learned as a master electrician is passed on to you. So you don't burn down your house or burn down somebody's house, right? That you're learning from him. So apprenticeship is maybe even a better word for us now in English. Catches the meaning that that we're applying what we're learning. Because learning sometimes can be all head knowledge. And head knowledge as a disciple needs to work its way down into our heart, into our hands, into our speech, into our actions. So an apprentice is maybe a better idea because eventually that apprentice electrician moves into being a master electrician himself. So this idea of of becoming something that you're watching and you're practicing and you're being watched over even as you do it is a good thing. A disciple includes the idea of being a learner who sits under the teacher or teaching and the goal is that they would become like the teacher. They actually physically embody the teaching. So again, not just in their head, but you can carry it out. You can do what you learned. 
You don't just like watch it being done. You, you, you step into it. You know, you can watch all the cooking shows you want on, on TV or on the internet. You know, watch the cooking, cook, and never like get out the ingredients and cook anything yourself. Right? So that's what I'm trying to get that idea across because we don't want to just be like in our heads disciples because that's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can see that from what Jesus did, calling people to follow him, be with him 24-7 for three years, listening to him teach, doing what he asked them to do, coming back, working that through together. So this idea of being a disciple of Christ is very important. So I need to ask you a few questions. Just think of yourself now for a moment. Are you a good student? Do you show up for class with Jesus? Do you spend time with him, looking at his word, what he has done, what he has accomplished, what he has promised to do? Are you paying attention? Do you do your homework? See, these are all, all phrases that we use around school or education. Well, he's told us that he never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always with us wherever we go. So you may think being a disciple means coming to church on Sunday, listening to someone rattle on and on and on. That's not a disciple. That may be a part of becoming a disciple, but that's not, that's not enough. Being with Jesus day in and day out and letting Jesus inform you, letting Jesus guide you, letting him help you throughout all of life, seven days a week, 24-7, is what a disciple is about. Jesus didn't come to earth and just set up a little school that met, you know, for an hour a day, and then everybody went home. He didn't do that. He came and he involved them in his life all the time. He's always with us. So we need to look at that and then look at our lives. Because if a disciple is a student, then this world is actually full of all kinds of disciples, of all kinds of teachers, and all kinds of philosophies. Because everyone is a disciple of someone or something. This is my premise here this morning. I believe that everyone is a disciple of someone or something. It can be, like I said, a school of thought. It can be a philosophy or whatever. But you're going to be, even everyone, everyone in the whole world is going to be a disciple of something. Because we don't just sort of grow up in a vacuum. We don't grow ourselves up. We are surrounded by influences and influencers every day of our lives. And we become people who begin to serve those ways of thinking or serve those thoughts or serve those people. I don't know. I'm pretty old now, but does anyone know who Bob Dylan is? Bob Dylan wrote a song way back when I was a teenager, and it was called, You Gotta Serve Somebody, right? Anybody remember that song? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody, Great song, great song. Influenced me when I was like 13 years old. I was like, that's true, that's true. You're going to serve somebody, so who's it going to be? So discipleship is about that. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to be a disciple of somebody. Who's it going to be is what makes all the difference. So Christ wants it to be him, and he wants us by spending time with him to be conformed into his image. 
to become like him in more and more ways. For we are very pliable. We're like clay that can be shaped. I know some of you don't think that's true, but it's still true. You can be shaped by the pressures and the ideas and the politics of this world. So the question again is, whose disciple are you? Whose disciple are you? Got to spend some time with God in his word, in prayer, and really delve into this as we enter into this season of learning about discipleship. Because we are very influenced by those things around us. I'll give you an example. Then I asked my son if I could use his name, because usually I say one of my sons, because I have more than one. But this time I, I'm going to use Josh. He's my oldest son. And we sent him to school in Pennsylvania at Messiah College. And Messiah College is sort of like in the midst of like Amish country. And there's a, a, a huge Mennonite community there. And the Mennonites are sort of like, like uh, cousins of the Amish. You know, they're very similar. And um, there's some, something called Pennsylvania Dutch. And so they have certain words that they speak. And also a certain way in which they speak the words that we use. And, and when they speak, they, they, it's, at first you're like, are they asking a question? At the end of every sentence is sort of this like up up, uh, let me give you an example. Like, it's a nice day. Like, like there's this little lilt. I can't do it. I try, I try to find it and listen to it. I still can't do it. But Josh went to school there for four years. And after year one or two, he started to sound like he was a Pennsylvania Dutch kid, even though he's from Massachusetts and he should speak the correct way, like we do, right? <laughs> but I've seen it with. Uh, the sacras and their, and their children spending time in Liberia, you start to pick up just the, just the rhythm. It's almost like a song within, within the, the language, and, and it starts to influence how your brain is going to say those words. We are very, and, and it's without even trying. Now, you can try to study a language, but even just being around most of the Mennonite community and the Pennsylvania Dutch long enough affected the way he spoke. Now, he doesn't speak that way anymore because now he's been back in Massachusetts for a long time. But when he first got out of school, it was this constant, like he was brought up by the Dutch, even though he wasn't, you know. So we've we got to realize that it happens consciously and subconsciously. He wasn't trying. It happens to me, too. My kids make fun of me because if I'm around certain people for long enough, there it goes, you know. It, it just starts to come out that way. But when we aren't even aware of it, we begin to conform to the image of the people around us. This is why the church is so important. Let me say that again. Whether we know it or, or don't know it, whether we're conscious of it or not, we begin to be influenced by the people around us. That's why the church is so important. Because if we all are trying to become more like Christ, we'll all move in that direction together. But if you don't spend much time with Christian people, you might sit here for an hour on Sunday and then go, boop, right out to your car and take off as fast as you can out of the driveway and get back to your normal life. Conforming to the image of Christ isn't on the agenda of the other people in your life. Maybe your, your friends from work. Maybe your friends at school. They're not thinking about becoming more like Christ. They're thinking about becoming more like, you know, Britney Spears or, or Justin Bieber or whatever. I don't know who these people are, but 
Whoever's the modern person now? Yeah, give, me, give me someone, Jonathan, give me somebody new. You're not that cool? Anyway, the, the focuses of our culture are, are usually to become like the rich and famous, like the celebrities, like the music you know, celebrities or whatever. Become like them, and then you'll have made it. You know, it's this craziness. But what happens is people start to talk like, walk like, think like the people around them. Because the truth is, we are all conformers. We are. I think God made us this way. I think it's part of our image because he wants us to conform into the image of Christ, to be transformed, to be like Christ. Problem is, if we don't have Christ as the focus, we'll conform to another image. We'll conform to another people group. We'll conform to another, another spiritual thinking, Right? We, we can get lost because we, we are constantly being bombarded by other people and other ideas and politics and, and, and all kinds of things. And that can begin to conform us. There's a passage in Romans 12 that says, don't be conformed to the image of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So see, God knows that we conform. But he has greater work to do in us. In my humblest opinion, the church might actually currently be made up of people who are disciples of someone other than Christ. Everyone sitting here today who may think they're a disciple of Christ because they're sitting in a church today may not actually be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus. You may actually be following the world or some other philosopher or some other teacher. It's important for us to think these hard thoughts, to ask these hard questions. Do you find yourself thinking the way the world thinks? Do you find yourself lining up with certain thoughts and certain politics and certain certain ideas that just that's what the world thinks that's the popular thing that's being said now you find yourself agreeing with those things and then coming to your senses and saying wait a minute i don't even think that's biblical you know it's like you find yourself starting to go down the wrong road you see we can be kept we can be made captive of these thoughts these ideas without even knowing it so moving forward When we use the term disciple here at Holden Chapel, we need to define it in the way that Jesus intended it when he spoke to his disciples, these important words in Matthew 28. Jesus' last words were his commandment, right? And it was a commandment which was given in authority. It wasn't a suggestion. And it was to go and to make disciples. To go is, is really... To live your life in such a way, wherever you go, while you're going. So while you're going to work, while you're going home, while you're being among people, make disciples. You see, it's happening anyway to everyone. They're being conformed to some some image, some thought, some pattern, some philosophy. The idea is, how do we become disciples of Jesus Christ? 
who multiply and make more disciples of Jesus Christ. Not of ourselves, but of Jesus. See, the how involves the same method that Jesus demonstrated and used to train the first disciples. So we can go back to the very beginning to those first disciples of Jesus. And if we do what he teaches us, then the model is, is the best practice, right? It's the thing that will help us to be able to do this. It wasn't limited to just that time period, that time in history. Jesus came and he could make disciples, and then the early church, they could make some, and then it's somehow been diluted ever since. But in that time period, there were rabbis, there were teachers, and around them, they would collect students, and those students would follow them. And they were taught the principles. They were taught the, the, the practices of those principles. So they would be taught the, the facts. Then they were taught how to put those facts into action, right? The practiced principles. And then they would debrief afterwards. How did it go? Oh, it was a miserable failure? Okay, let's think about it again. Let's go back to the principles. Why do you think it failed? Where was your faith? What were you putting your faith in? Right? Is this this process of learning that Jesus put into practice? If things went well, then great. But if they didn't go well, they didn't go well, they didn't quit. They went and talked about why it didn't go well. And Jesus would teach them some more. The thing that's interesting if you read the gospels is that the disciples actually failed a lot. They made a lot of mistakes and missteps. So it helped us to accept that in ourselves as well. Sometimes we're trying to always hide our mistakes from each other. Like, oh, I want people to think I'm a good disciple, so I better not let them know I just failed miserably. I'm going to hide that. that that's, a, that's not in the recipe, right? The recipe is teach the principles, practice the principles, and then just debrief those principles afterwards. How did it go? This is what we will do as we continue to grow in Christ if we're a healthy disciple-making community. See, back then, to be a disciple of a rabbi meant that at some point you actually would become a rabbi yourself. Now, we're not going to become rabbis and we're not going to become Jesus because there's only one Jesus. We'll always be his disciples. But we are teachers. We are Bible study leaders. We are parents. We are friends who can remind each other of a principle Practice that principle together, and then debrief that principle, that truth. See, Jesus is always with us. This is a foundational doctrinal belief. His presence is here with us, and he is in the process of making disciples in us or of us, also through us. Something went wrong along the way, and throughout history, there's been different times where discipleship was going great, and then boom, you know, the persecution came, or some false teaching came, and things fell apart, or whatever. So we have to stay based in Scripture, stay on top of things, paying attention, staying awake, discovering what it takes to stay true to the original model of discipleship. And it's not easy, but it's worth it. We don't want to lose the next generation and the next generation, and the next generation, because we're not making disciples for Jesus, of of Jesus, making disciples for him and of him. 
Praise God, if you are a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, praise God that somehow discipleship reached you. Somebody, somewhere along the way, found you, began to disciple you, teach you principles, talk about those principles, put them into practice, debrief. If that hasn't happened, it's not too late. Praise God for that too. You see, Jesus is in the process of still making disciples. He wants us to take his invitation. You remember from Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He still is teaching today through his word, through the study of scripture, through time spent with him, through worship. He's continually teaching us. And if we are learners, if we're willing to apprentice ourselves to him, we will be able to not only be his disciples, but be in the process of making more disciples. The great thing about God is he doesn't discriminate. He doesn't say, some of you can be my disciples, some of you can't. You're the wrong group. There's no discrimination. We learned that in the book of Acts. Every tongue and tribe and nation and people are all invited into discipleship. It might look different because of cultural differences or backgrounds or whatever, but it's the same biblically-based model of becoming more like Jesus by spending time with him and time with one another. The interesting thing about discipleship is that it doesn't end there. Spending time in God's word, spending time with others who also want to become disciples. It can't end there, or else the world will never know the goodness of God, the grace of God. Because we've kind of like found our group and stayed in our group and been comfortable in our group, and we haven't moved out from that group in a very long time. So Jesus had to be very clear when he said, go and make disciples. Don't stay the way you are, the place you are, doing the things that you're doing, knowing the people that you know, but also go. When you're living your life, go and make more disciples. His idea was that this thing would spread worldwide, and it has, but it's still spreading, and it still needs to spread some more. Amen? So at this point, you don't, I, I want to clear up another thing. You don't have to wait for someone to come to Christ to begin to disciple them. They're actually already watching you. They're actually already listening to you. They don't have to say, oh, yes, I bow my knee to Jesus. I invite him into my... And now you can begin the discipleship process. They've begun by watching you, by listening to you, by sometimes even taking your advice. Come to you at work, and they're upset about something, and you give them some godly advice, and they take that advice. That's the process. It's already begun. God wants to deepen that and make it more and more and more. So if we have the source, which we do, if we have the original recipe for discipleship, which we do, Jesus and his disciples and the early church, the apostles, we have it before us. We better make sure that what we're doing is lining up with that. Because any subtle change will take us in the wrong direction over time. So that's why we stress God's word so much. 
reading God's word, meditating on God's word, studying God's word, making sure that we are lining ourselves up with God's word. Because if we don't, we will not make disciples of Jesus Christ. We'll make them of something else. Like I said, there's all kinds of disciples in the world. Not all of them are of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that it's a belief system. Yes, we put our faith, we we put our minds to work, we believe these things. But it's also an entrance into a whole different life with Christ. It's It's like the beginning of a life of learning, a beginning of a life of serving. A beginning of, so we don't end until we, I guess, go to heaven. Maybe that's where it ends, or maybe it just continues. We don't even know. But, But I think we just continue to move in the direction of Christ, and we get to see ourselves changed and transformed to be more like Christ. So, now we examine. Do you think that you're any more like Christ this year than you were last year. And maybe that's too small of a sample. So how about five years ago? So if you measured your life somehow, and, and I know we don't do that perfectly, God does, but, but if you were to look at your life, are you more patient? Are you more kind? Are you gentle with people who make mistakes and who, are, who, who do things that shouldn't be done? Are you more or less? Because if you're more, then you're becoming more like Christ. But if you're less, then maybe your discipleship is a little bit off-center. You're not applying the principles of God's word faithfully into those situations. I've been reading and processing and thinking about discipleship. And one day this past week, out of the blue, no prompting from outside of myself that I know of, These two words jumped into my brain. Scary, huh? That's how it works. Out of the blue. And the words were this, Stockholm Syndrome. Now, if you were just like minding your business and all of a sudden you thought, Stockholm Syndrome? I had to question that. Like, am I going crazy or is God trying to say something to me, right? What is Stockholm Syndrome? I, I, I don't even know. I've heard the phrase and I know it has something to do with kidnapping, but that's about all I knew, right? So I had to go do a little research because it wouldn't go away. It was like a very strong, like, Stockholm Syndrome. I'm like, huh, ah, scary. You know, what does that mean? But in studying discipleship and seeing how easily and pliable we are, this makes a lot of sense. And as we're examining ourselves, I want to ask for the Spirit to help us to even understand this, these two words spoken I believe, by the Spirit, for us to evaluate. Because we can be free. God's called us to be free. Scripture's clear about that. And we can even be free, but not act like we're free. And I think that's what Stockholm Syndrome is. You're free, but you don't act like you're free. You still act like you're under the captor's control. And these are the effects of the Stockholm Syndrome. If someone is kidnapped, kept kidnapped for a very long time, manipulated and and played with for months and months and months, what happens is they are pliable and they are changed in their psyche, in their emotions by that captor, by that enemy. 
And here's the, here's the results of it, or the, or the symptoms of it. Confusion, doubt, trouble thinking, trouble making decisions, lowered self-esteem, lingering guilt, shame, flashbacks, mood instability, avoidance of other people, alternating between distorted thinking and clear thinking. Sometimes you're thinking clearly, sometimes you're not thinking clearly. Lingering mood problems, increased depression, increased anxiety, increased anger, increased irritability. Feelings of helplessness, hopelessness, worthlessness. Health problems. An increased risk of becoming a victim of future abuse or crime. So I had to sit with that for a while and say, God, you know, that's a lot. And it sounds familiar. Sounds familiar to us. I think even too familiar to us. And the only reason we would be suffering from Stockholm Syndrome is that we're spending too much time with the enemy. Listening to the enemy. Listening to how the enemy thinks. Listening to how the enemy Worries. Listen to how the enemy is full of, of crazy ideas. But we sit under that long enough that it starts to affect us internally because we're pliable. And I feel like God said, yeah, there's disciples of the world in the church who are struggling to be my disciples, but they're dealing with all of these symptoms. And I want to set them free. I want them to walk in freedom. I want them to know they're no longer captives of the enemy. I want them to know that I paid that price for them. They're free in Christ. And they don't have to live under that shame. They don't have to live under that guilt. They don't have to live under that cloud anymore. The effects of the enemy are broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to walk in that truth. There's a passage in the Old Testament, I can't remember where it is, but it, it describes the fact that, that God came, he sent a deliverer, he broke the chains off the people, but they didn't shake the chains off their shoulders. So can you imagine yourself going around with a heavy chain, I don't mean a jewelry chain, I mean a slavery chain, around you, it's broken, it's not attached to the enemy anymore, but you're walking around with it on you. Weighing you down day after day, and God's just saying, shake those chains off your shoulders. I broke that. But you're living under the ideas or the thoughts or the emotions that you were once captive of. We've all been captive of that. But God has set us free through Jesus Christ. We all have lived. Paul gives a whole list of terrible things. He says, that's how we once were, right? We once were all these things. But now in Christ, we are these things. That's the transformation of our minds. That's changing who we are, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about our future based on Christ and what Christ has done. So we're going to sing this song together. And I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to work in you to allow you to shake off any chains, doubt, fear, anxiety, any chains that, that would make you susceptible to being a captive again.
falling back into captivity. Now, nobody can pluck you out of God's hands. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your life. The life of abundance and joy and disciple-making that Jesus made us for, a lot of us are not living because we're stuck in the old way of thinking. And we need to be renewed in our minds and transformed in our lives to be disciple-making disciples. Amen? Amen. 